What's up, guys? This is Bee's Nest, a pop culture and lifestyle podcast that you can hear on Anchor.fm, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Kat Yaniga Jewelry. It really feels like this lockdown will never end. So why not treat yourself to a few new pieces of beautiful handmade jewelry? I'm almost at my breaking point where I'm going to be wearing my Moonstone drop earrings with my pajamas as I drink coffee in my kitchen alone and sad. Something sparkly could be just the mood stabilizer we all need. Check out Kat's Canadian-made original pieces at katyaniga.com. That's cat like the animal, J-A-N-I-G-A.com. And use promo code BeesNestPodcast to get 15% off. Guys, this is quite possibly my favorite show yet. I've listened to it back a few times now, and I can't believe how much fun I had with my guest. PR manager and former national journalist for Global News, Megan Coley, joined me to talk about so many topics, it's impossible to list them all. She's a pop culture junkie just like me, and we went off on Emily in Paris, Selling Sunset, Glow, Marriage Story, The Sopranos, and so much more. Megan and I also listed our top five favorite books to read. I'm a big rereader, Megan not so much, but we found common ground in books that move us and stay with us. So consider this your definitive reading list to make your pandemic days a bit more enjoyable. The recording of this episode was the first time I've done one at night, and both Megan and I enjoyed a glass or two of wine, so you're going to hear a few slurps from time to time. The conversation is a long one, so I'm not even going to bother with a talking to myself segment because I want to get right to it. So here we go. I got Megan here. I'm so, so excited to talk to her. She's brilliant and sweet. And adorable and she loves pop culture so that's it that's the whole that's the whole party line about Megan that's the only reason why I want to talk to her because she's the best hey Megan how's it going I'm good how are you I'm good I've had two and a half glasses of wine I'm well on my way <laughs> yeah this is my first nighttime recording so I am also not two and a half I'm I'm starting on my first all right. Respectable. Um, I just feel like sometimes, like, honestly, I get nerve, like I get nervous. I get, I get anxiety, which like is not a new thing. Everybody gets that. Um, but even before like PR events and stuff, I would always like have a quick glass while I was getting ready just cause I feel like I'm like better at conversation when I have a little bit of that, like, like, you know, I can let go of my inhibitions a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I feel that way too. It gives me a little bit of a little bit of like a social boost, but mm -hmm. it also makes my cheeks red and I'm already sweating profusely. So <laughs> we'll see how okay. it goes. Same, same, <laughs> same. I'm so dewy because I'm so sweaty. I really love my look right now. <laughs> That's also the look. Like it's like you have strong Emily in Paris vibes right now, but in the best way. In the best way. <laughs> See, you're so up on your pop culture. Oh, I mean that so nicely because literally the only thing done right about that entire show is her makeup. Everything else, everything else that that girl touches in that show turns to garbage. 
So it's just is, like, it, is it the new sex in the city for the new generation? <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. I will binge the real sex in the city until I'm like 60 years old. It'll be like my Gilmore or my golden girls. Also Gilmore girls actually <laughs> strong similarities there. Um, no, but, but what, what I found was it's just so, um, it's just so lacking any like substance beneath the surface. And like, I don't know if you ever watched Carrie, but they did like a prequel to Sex and the City when she was like in high school. Yeah, 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 I did. I, I didn't watch it, but I knew of it. And I had read the book that it was based on. I was. <laughs> obsessed with that show because they keep all the substance they like dumb it down for like the young adult like equivalent of the sex in the city viewer but it's not like I feel like Emily in Paris was made on the assumption that like oh all the girls watching this are like fucking idiots like you know it's like a bunch of like old white men in a room being like you know what would be great for fall 2020 <laughs> Is this show about a girl going to Paris and she's American and it's all about how she's super American and in Paris and, and like changing the rules in a marketing firm. And it's just like, you're so out of touch. Like what people my age want, what people young, slightly younger than me want is like something that actually like gets their brain working a little bit. Like that's what we crave. I think. So Maybe that's just me. So I was going to ask you like, should I watch it? That felt like a no. So, Okay. It's a two-part answer because I watched it on Friday night when I had nothing else to do because alone and you're not really supposed to be seeing other people right now. So I had like a bottle and a half of wine and watched <laughs> a bunch of it. And in that respect, it was great because I was also scrolling on Instagram and I was like tweeting about it. Like I knew what I was talking about. And um, it's like a pleasant, it's a pleasant viewing experience. It's visually nice. The actors are good. There's no moment where you're like, oh my God, so cringe. Like the writing sucks or whatever. It's just like the plot itself goes literally nowhere. So would I suggest it as like a Tuesday evening with your husband? Let's put on a new show. Probably not. The baby's asleep. Let's use our like, town wisely. Yeah, no, no, no. But if you were like on like a train <laughs> going somewhere and you had like six hours to kill by yourself, Sure, why not? Okay. Sure. You know, that's not terrible. It's so funny that no. Netflix is putting money into shows like this, but then they, they canceled Glow, my beloved Glow. I cannot say how dismayed I was. Like, I cannot communicate how dismayed I was about the cancellation of Glow. Um, we were just getting to the good shit, first of all. Uh, we were just getting to the backstory of, okay, forgive me, I can't remember, i so bad with names. Again, another Gemini trait, so <laughs> bad with names. Um, uh, the the, the um, South Asian girl and the the other girl who are, like, sort of, exp like, exploring their relationship and, like, there's, like, a, like, some touch of, like, like, lesbianism, but, like, when it's not really accepted. Okay, that plot line, I would watch a full spin-off about that couple yeah um but also just like all of these badass women getting in a freaking cage and like literally fighting <laughs> and like coming up with fight scenes like it was so empowering I, I was really dismayed to see that and meanwhile we got like 13 seasons of the big bang theory like no that is 
so I don't understand what happens in these television meetings. I truly don't. They're just catering to like the lowest common denominator. That's the only thing I can think of. And I love trashy TV. I watch The Bachelor every fucking season. But like, I just, you know, and, and also to be fair, COVID, it's so tough. Like, I get it. Everybody's strapped. Budgets are strapped. But oh my God, to cut glow. Yeah. It's always like the all female, all female. It's always the all female cast to go first. And you can apply that to any aspect of life. (laughs) And it's always true. (laughs) It's like, just take away a quarter of the costume budget from the crown. They're doing fine. They don't need all that cash. So true. We don't need a full Buckingham Palace replica every time the Queen meets the Prime Minister. Yeah, do it on the second stage. We don't care. I will be just as impressed. Literally, if from here on out, if the Queen is only at that at at that cottage in Scotland, I would be happy. Yeah, be pleased. Take all of her meetings in the back of a car. I think that's really interesting. I'd be like, whoa, she's always on the move, our girl. (laughs) Yeah, she's like getting shit done. Or in on the phone uh, next to Prince Philip in their like shared housing quarters where like they don't actually share a bed. (laughs) I would watch 45 minutes of this. (laughs) She and Prince Philip in that weird like two bedrooms with a hallway in the middle. Yeah. Like like, like, teenagers in like a dorm room. (laughs) It's really weird. It reminded me of like the Sweet Valley High sisters, Jessica and Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. They shared like that bathroom, the, Jill, yes. the Jack and Jill bathroom. Yes, but it's always, it's always Queen Elizabeth like, Philip, <laughs> where, where were you? And Philip's like stumbling in like blackout drunk. <laughs> He's like, oh, I just rode in on my motorcycle. She's like, you're the king of England. Bring it in. <laughs> Fucking tighten it up. Every time they get into a fight. Yeah, and it's always, too, like, while people are there undressing them. <laughs> I would be so bad at that job because I would be like, ooh, shit. She knew. She knew you came in on the motorcycle. Yes, oh, yes. Shit. And, like, picture, like, at any given time, you have basically a minimum of, like, 15 buttons to undo. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just like... Oh my God, I really don't want to be here right now. This is so awkward. Like, she's so pissed at him for cheating on him and she's the queen. But like, I'm only on button seven. Gotta do the bow tie right in his face. Like, oh yeah, he does smell like whiskey. Oh shit. I would also, I always say, I, I have a terrible poker face. Like my feelings are always just splashed right across my head. So, I mean, people listening to this podcast aren't going to be able to see my face, but it's slack-jawed, basically. I would just always be like, yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that is my eyes huge... darting back and forth. Yes, that is my huge beef with Zoom meetings, um, because I feel like when I'm in person, I'm better at, like, tightening it up, but on Zoom, I'm, like, just in the comfort of my own living room. Like, literally, I take all my meetings from right here, so people will say something on like a very important work call and I'm like, oh my God, that's unacceptable. And it's just on my face. It's just sheer like disgust. I'm just like, I'm taking notes and I'm like off on the side, like, can you believe that? And then I realize, oh my God, they can all see me. 
Um, so I think it's hilarious that you binged through something as new as Emily in Paris, but you also told me that you were working your way through The Sopranos. <laughs> oh my God, am I late to this party? <laughs> like, is you, it a party? You opened it and you were like, she's obsessed with pop culture and everybody's like what are you watching right now and I'm like the Sopranos this crazy mobster show called the Sopranos you're gonna think it's about singers but it's not it's also um set primarily in like the early 90s like everything takes place over like a house phone <laughs> or like it's just like, like so many things would have been solved if they had just set this in 2020 like, the FBI would have been on them in a fucking heartbeat. Like, every morning, Tony Soprano, like, the head of the mob family is like, call me back from a payphone in three minutes. And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> and he goes to a fucking payphone on the street. Like, that concept in and of itself is just mind-boggling to me. Um, no, I can't get enough of it. So, some backstory. Uh, I was born in the 90s. And um, Gross. when... <laughs> When this show would come on, like the, it has that very uh, memorable theme song, um, woke up this morning, got myself a gun. And when that song would come on, it was always t Sunday at 10 p.m. That's when like the new episodes would come out. And my dad would plonk himself in front of the TV like, like doesn't don't care what everybody's been doing. Now is the it's my time to watch TV. And all of us would be strictly ordered to bed because sometimes the opening scene would be like somebody's head, like somebody holding someone's head by the hair and just being like, what should we do with this? Like dangling, like no neck, gushing blood. And, um, and so my brothers and I would always go to bed and be like, oh man, I wish we could watch that clearly sick show that dad's obsessed with. <laughs> so then one day I realized, holy shit, I am an adult. I can watch that show that dad's obsessed with. And um, so I started it during the pandemic because I had nothing better to do and the episodes are an hour long, which is like a pretty big time commitment, but oh my God. The acting, the script, the plot, it, everything is immaculate. The music, Edie Falco, if I could mean? become Edie Falco, like I was just watching and there's this scene um, where she and, and uh, oh my God, what's his name now? The guy who plays Tony, he died so, oh, so James tragically. Gandolfini. Gandolfini, yeah. They're in, a, they have this scene where literally, and like the Sopranos, I think, is pretty well known for this. It's like very long, um, like awkward silences, like just letting things like hang in the air. And they have this scene where they're discussing like the future of their marriage. And it's just like the script is so basic, but they're walking around like a very small room. And I was so enraptured with the entire thing. Like I was so convinced that they had been married for like 25 years. Like everything about it was just like, oh my God, I'm like intruding on like a very personal conversation right now. Like I I'm just blown away by this show. I'm obsessed. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it yet. Pop culture expert Megan Coley is recommending The Sopranos arguably like always chosen like, as the greatest television show ever created <laughs> i can't believe it took me this long it's so fucking good it's i so only good. watched it i only watched it like all the way through because i had seen like scenes and episodes here and there but all the way through about five years ago so i was also pretty new to the game um how far are you i don't want to say any spoilers i'm in season four Okay. Season 
four. Honestly, I'm at that point where I just throw it on and like four episodes will run and I'm like not paying attention. Um, yeah, season four episode. Okay, yeah, I'm just concluding season four. Season four to episode 13. Okay. Tell me some of the big plot lines. I have no idea what's going on. So, Spoiler so, alert for anyone, who, anyone else who hasn't <laughs> caught up on The Sopranos. That's like when um, uh, Little Women came out in theaters and everybody was like, can you stop telling me what happens in Little Women? And I'm like, hi, this has been a novel for 50 plus years. Like, did you not read this in elementary school? <laughs> yeah, oh someone got mad at me the other day because I, I gave away a huge plot point from the Titanic. <laughs> and was like, first all right. of all, it's a meme machine. You've seen it. <laughs> If you've only seen memes. And it's, it was a real historical event. You know, like, I thought, I thought everybody knew that shit, but okay. All right. So what's happening in The Sopranos? So right now, um, uh, Tony's, Tony was having sex with that Russian, that really young Russian girl. And she called his house when he was out really drunk and basically was like, um, to Carmela, like, I fucked your husband and um, Tony loves me more than he loves you. And now Carmela is like in a full-blown rage and like kicking him out, but they just purchased a um, house in the Jersey Shore, which like when he said the shore, I was like, surely you mean a different shore? Cause I've watched Jersey Shore. Obviously. And then sure enough, it's the fucking Jersey Shore. And they're like, oh my God, this is the epitome of paradise. And I'm like, yes, I agree. Like, I don't know. <laughs> feel the exact same way about the Jersey Shore. Tony Soprano loves to fist bump. Wait, pump. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, he kind of does like to do both of those things, actually. Um, yeah, no, yeah. So that's happening. And then also um, they were planning this big. I honestly pay so much more attention to the like romance going on than I do like the actual like mob activity, but I'm pretty sure there <laughs> is like a current situation where Tony wants to whack the the Carmine, the leader of the New York mob. Yep. And yep. everybody's like, is it gonna happen? Is it not gonna happen? But like all those conversations I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, let's get back to like the relationships. Like, yeah, let's see what's Adriana going on with Meadow and her boyfriend. Yes, like where's Finn? Like Adriana just picked up Chris from rehab, and I'm like, poor Adriana, like, how's she doing? We haven't seen her in a while because Chris has been in fucking rehab. Like, is she coping? She doesn't have her dog anymore because he killed her. Like so much romance drama. The guy I'm seeing right now is like can you like focus on like the mob plots? Like it's kind of important. What this is about. It's about the mafia. It's like life or death, Megan. <laughs> like there's legit murders going on. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Bring it back to Carmela. Bring it back. Bring yeah. It back. Let's see how she's doing in this crumbling marriage of hers. Anytime my nails get a little too long, I swear I gesture like I'm Carmela. It's just all okay, in the wrist I and the fingers. It's so good. It's all the fingers. When I started watching the show, um, it was my brother's birthday and I went home for my brother's birthday party and I got so drunk, like tequila shot drunk. Nice. And um, was just walking around being like, Vafangul, I'm fucking Carmela Soprano. <laughs> like, and my dad called me the next morning and was like, sup Carmela? And I was like, what? And he was like, last, all last night, you thought you were Carmela Soprano. And I was like, 
wow, it's amazing. <laughs> Doesn't sound <laughs> admired like admired myself. Sorry. Yeah, I was like, who me? No. My dad was also like your dad, like huge into Sopranos. Like he has the box set. He has the books. And you're Italian, right? I'm Portuguese, but it's pretty much the same thing. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Whatever. No, actually that's no, 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 no. I mean, whatever. It's my dad loves monster movies. It's whatever. But, but yeah, like you would like have an appreciation for like the culture in it. I'm sure. Yeah. Every time they like just eat nonstop carbs. I'm like, yes, these are the scenes I'm here for. The gabagool. <laughs> But my dad was heavy, heavy into it. And so he was so happy when I was going through the show and he would ask me like, oh, where are you? Like, what's going on? And we were having dinner one day and he was like, do you have a favorite character? Like, who, you, who do you like? And I'm not going to say his name because no spoilers, but I was like, oh, I really like so-and-so. Like, he's my favorite. I don't know why. Just something about him. My dad's like, oh, he's great. I was so sad when he died. No. <laughs> I was like, What? did you just say and he's like oh yeah you're not there yet and I'm like, you just heard me tell you how much i love him i would have capped it with like too bad he died though <laughs> yeah. yeah i would have finished off that sentence being like didn't it suck when they like shredded his body with like a fucking hacksaw yeah, yeah. that's how they did him it was horrible and my dad was like oh my bad so like for an entire season i was just there like fingers in my mouth, like chewing my nails. Like, is it going to happen? Just like waiting. Yeah. yeah. Shit. Oh my God. All yeah. about that. My mom too. She'd be like, Oh, who's Tony dating now? And I would like give her a name. She'd be like, Oh, isn't that the one who blank, 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 blank. And I'm like, Oh, what? It's like a huge important plot arc of like the next season. You're just like, thanks. I actually am super guilty of doing that because I just assume that whatever I've done, everybody else has done. Um, which is like a really toxic trait of mine. But when I was in high school, um, my current boyfriend, uh, I was in AP English and he was in normal English. So I read all of the books they were reading a year ahead. And so um, when he got to The Great Gatsby, I was like, just assuming he had finished it because like who the fuck takes longer than like four days to read The Great Gatsby. It's like so good and also so like basic. And I, I remember being like, oh my God, isn't it so fucked up at the end when he gets shot? And my boyfriend was like, I don't know what to say right now. He's like, how do you, they get there? I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> this book has been out for like 40 years. Like <laughs> you really didn't read the Coles notes? Yeah. No, I'm, I have a really weird trait where depending on the show, I will read a recap for it before I've watched the episode. I did that Whoa. a lot with Sons of Anarchy where I would like vulture.com would do episode by episode recaps and I would read it the morning of the evening that I was going to watch the episode. What? Yeah. I don't Yoga, know. Why do you think that is? What do you think that says about you? As I just a like to be prepared. I like to know what's coming. Yeah. You, you must like really like to be in control. I feel like, like, you know, like, yeah, I'm the person who Googles a menu before <laughs> I go to the Oh, I do that. I do that. I, I want to know what I'm dealing with. I want to assess all of my emotions before <laughs> I have to make decisions. Yes. And like, should I have like a carb at lunch or am I going to have a carb at dinner? That kind of thing. I'm exactly. right there with you on my news. But the, the reading the shows thing. Yeah. Not and I'll sure. do that. I'll do that for movies that I don't care to watch. I'll read like the Wikipedia oh, okay. synopsis. 
Sure. Just, just to like see what everyone's talking about. What everyone's talking about. I want to be able to participate in conversations. <laughs> okay, that's actually, yeah, that's, I feel like everybody in our field of work does that because like there's no way you're going to see all the conversations content no but you want to be a part of the fucking water cooler conversations and like one movie I really wish I did that for but I fucking went to the movie theater to see it was um marriage story and that could have been summarized to me in fewer than 200 (laughs) characters the whole time I was just like why am I here did you go see that like of your own volition or did was it for work I I went to see it because I had been invited to an event, like a preview event. So I was like, okay. sure, whatever, like booze will be served. I'll go to like the fancy tiff box and like have the experience. Um, but yeah, no, um, that was not something I was like seeking out on my own. I'm not a huge ScarJo fan. <laughs> kind of a controversial statement nowadays but um is it though no. I never get it with her everybody seems to really shit their pants over her and I'm like eh. like she's so hot yeah I get it she's so hot I see it um but every time she gives a monologue I feel like I'm being forced to sit through like a 10th grade drama production <laughs> where it's like okay when you say line six you have to pick up the tissue box and throw it across the room and that's like your practice for the next six months. And I'm just, every time I watch her, I'm like, it's so physically painful. Yeah, that's fair. The worst movie I had to sit through in a theater because of work obligations was the Emma Roberts movie Made in Italy. Have you even heard really of this monstrosity? Okay. So it's, no. her, it's her and Hayden Christensen. Was this like a big blockbuster I missed out on? Because I am, I did, I'm getting to the Sopranos like years later. So it's possible. <laughs> it was not anywhere close to a freaking blockbuster. But it, I think it filmed in Toronto and that's why it was like somewhat of a small okay. deal. But I was going to interview someone who was in the film. So I had to go see it. And her and Hayden Christensen, first of all, in real life are like 15 years apart and they're supposed to be the same age in the movie. And it's just like, you know, not for nothing, but she looks like she's in her early 20s and he's got like mad crow's feet. <laughs> and it's just like, Hayden, it's, it's called SPF, babe. <laughs> and I he- also despise casting like that because can we just normalize men being with women who are the same age as them and actually look like the age that they are? Is that so crazy? He also just the whole, his whole performance was like, I would literally like to be anywhere but here. (laughs) He was phoning it in so hard. And there was just, it was just about like these two crazy kids who just couldn't figure out that they loved each other. And there was so many insane caricatures of Italians in that movie. (laughs) <laughs> which I found hilarious because my husband's Italian and I was like ha that's what they think you are there you go yeah but at the end of it and I was there with like a pretty big like Toronto movie critic and when we left him and I were like in the elevator together and he was like I cannot believe I just fucking sat through that oh my god I love that <laughs> I love that shit that is like the thing that wakes me up in the morning working in media is like those Few and far between moments where you get access to somebody who actually like impacts like like money being made. 
and they say something outrageous like that fucking sucked and you're like oh my god I was in the room when they decided that that sucked and for that reason that tiff movie or whatever flopped so hard and I didn't get the voters (laughs) choice award like holy fuck I remember the day oh I live for those moments I was there I was there when that feeling was conceptualized so that was a big moment for me but yeah it's just movies like that so I'm glad you're watching The Sopranos I would rather give my time to an old show that's actually worthy of my ass on a couch for a couple hours (laughs) well and that's I'm sure you feel the same way but like being somebody who like devours anything new um and it's a pandemic so I have a lot of time on my hands I feel like I have to sort of work in reverse because like there's not a ton of new stuff coming out and anything that is new I'm like oh man like I just I feel like I'm getting dumber when I watch it and Mm -hmm. I just won't stand for that yeah I've had a few it's funny because I've never had more time on my hands to sit around and watch <laughs> movies, but I also find that I'm actually being so much more cutthroat with what I actually will sit through. And I said actually twice in the same sentence, so you know that I'm a writer by trade. <laughs> but like this, this little period that we've been at home, I've turned off and stopped more movies and shows than I ever have before. And it's like, I don't have time for this, guys. Who knows how much longer we're going to be locked up like this? I got stuff That's to do. That's actually a really interesting point that you're raising though. It's like the, because people are so like starved for content right now, but I think also people have more time to like, like decide what they like and decide what they don't like and actually like critically think about the things that they're consuming. It's kind of like an interesting dichotomy, especially being in like the marketing scene, because like, we're always talking about, oh my God, 2020, it's just like, we need so much content. Everybody wants the content we just need to put out all the content. It's like, well, maybe there's something to be said about like being more critical about it because people have more time to like actually put their eyeballs on it and not like turn it on and then scroll their phone or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually like, I'm dying for some kind of entertainment by the end of the day that if a movie is not entertaining me, I'm like, I don't have time for this guys. It's so true. It's like, I only have a few ounces of serotonin left for this fucking moon cycle. Okay. Like bring it back. Mercury's going to be in retrograde any day now, guys. I can't waste my time. I made a joke about that today because none of my tech was working for real. And then somebody was like, oh yeah, it is about to be in retrograde. I was like, literally Mercury is always in retrograde. What is up with that? It freaking is. I used to love, I work, I used to work in an office where there was one woman in the office who was super like plugged into that mm. to the point that we would even like read our horoscopes aloud every morning. I love that so much. But she, anytime one person was like, oh, something's weird. I'm not getting stuff done. Nothing's coming through. She would just pop her head and be like, Mercury's in retrograde, y'all. We'd be like, oh, like- no. And she would be like, it's okay. There's like 14 more days and we're good. <laughs> it's like that's literally like, half right. a month. Okay, she's got it. I guess I have an excuse for the next 14 days. Yeah, I have friends who are like, oh, like your rising sun is in um, this moon right now. And I'm just like, I have no idea what you just said. But if it means that I can complain about something, bring it on. Yeah, 
Is there a check coming in? Can you ask my rising moon if there's a check or anything rolling my way? That'd be great. Or if like, if I can like pass off this insane bloat from like all the food I ate this weekend on that moon in retrograde, then fucking sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. I want no responsibility. I ate heavy before I came up to record this. And my husband was like, how are you going to get through a conversation? Because I was like heavy breathing. I was, Tony, I was Tony Soprano breathing. I was like, oh, oh man, okay, all right, let's, let's go talk about some pop culture. That's amazing. I feel like I'm- I'm flying my wine, Megan. Buddy, you just got to choke it down. I'm going to. I keep trying protein. to bring it in, but he just won't. He won't be killed. That's, um, (laughs) that's, uh, I'm actually jealous that you had like an appetite because I'm at the part, I don't know if you ever get this, um, being a woman, but I feel like every, every few weeks, um, just like maybe one week a month, every time I eat, I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like people don't talk about that enough. Um, I feel like that a lot, (laughs) but women are like, the baseline for being a woman is just like always sort of nauseous. Like if I, if you ask me how I'm doing and then I'm like, I'm great today. That means that I'm actually like 10% nauseous as opposed to the regular, like 40 to 50. (laughs) Nobody talks about this. Oh my God, girl. My tummy is always like a little bit upset. And every time I'm just like, you know what? It must be my period. And I literally just finished my period four days ago. <laughs> Another one's coming. Completely, completely unrelated. It's just like, you know what? You have a uterus and with a uterus comes great responsibility. <laughs> I always think of my period like when it's January and you're like, guys, bikini season is right around the corner. <laughs> it's like the day after your period and you're like, the next one's coming, guys. Let's just batten down the hatches and hope for the best. I just checked my app today and was like, the next one has to be soon. I feel like complete shit. And it's like, <laughs> next period in 17 days. I'm like, what? I'm well off away from the next one. This is just me. This, this is just, just my who you are. This is just my baseline. Like, I didn't have like 18 glasses of water yesterday. So I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've been trying to drink a ton of water. All of these things that if I had just started at the beginning of the pandemic, I would be like Wonder Woman at this point. Yep. Every yep. day I'm like, you know, girl, if you had just stuck to those like 30 squats a day, which seriously would have been like 20 seconds out of your life, <laughs> you could have had such a great ass by now. And every day I'm like, I'll start tomorrow. Uh, We're going to be locked down for a while. We're mm-hmm. good. We're good. But now yeah, you had drinking water like a week ago. <laughs> Yep. Yep. I spend most of my day on the toilet. (laughs) Cause my body's like, what is all this hydration, babe? Where did this come from? Where do we put it? Yeah. Yeah. I just was used to having like my one coffee in the morning and then hoping for the best half a water (laughs) at night. And then I wake up in the middle of the night thirsty as shit. And I'm like, what's going on? No, I always think of that image of Spongebob when he like dries up. I'm like, that's exactly how I feel right now. He's like, ah, like, I'm like so dry. I'm just like, yeah, 
every day. I can, it doesn't matter how much I drink. I drink a liter. Yeah. Like this is what I fill it up to, to like force myself to do it. And it doesn't work. No. Cause like yeah. I have, I also have a giant, it's like 1.6 liters, not to brag, um, jug <laughs> of water. But if it's not glued to my fucking face, then I, I don't drink it. Like I accidentally left it downstairs today. And I haven't <laughs> had a sip of water today. Yeah. And I know and where it's it, over. It's right downstairs. <laughs> I can go get it, but I don't. But here I yeah, am you know with what? my fly wine. Cheers. Cheers to that. He's still, he's still in there. He refuses to be caught. I vote for more nighttime recording on business. No, I feel like this is what's gonna really. This is a vibe. This is what's gonna push the podcast <laughs> into overdrive. Yes, I support. I say we get even smarter with our talk and move from TVs and movies to books because I have not yet discussed books on this podcast. So I'm so excited. Ooh. Hello, Belle from Beauty and the Beast to talk to. I've been watching Beauty and the Beast a lot. I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> My girl, she's so literate. So I asked Megan to come up with five books that are on your reread list. Do you have like, do I... you have like the hard copies? I do. I don't have them in front of me, okay. but they're all like nicely arranged in my, you know, as an avid reader, I have like shelves to display all of my successes um but I did write down a list for you and I've thought about this long and hard (laughs) what are your favorite genres to read so um like it's it's honestly sort of a toss-up like I am open to any and all books I don't judge um I love like word of mouth recommendations that's sort of what I'm always like riding on because I find they're just so much more effective than any list you can join like Heather Heather at Indigo I am not a fan I don't know (laughs) why likes fucking anything okay (laughs) Heather has very low standards like I've picked up some books Heather's picks I'm like why I would never put my name on this book um but no, so like I often find myself um, driven to just like, uh, I'm, I'm a big like plot gal. I love like a plot heavy story or something that moves pretty quickly. Um, but then often randomly I'll be like really enamored with a book that's like really like really just beautifully written and it doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So um, oftentimes though they are like romance or um, like historical fiction. Um, I, I read a lot of like World War II fiction, which I don't know how I get there every time, but I love it. Um, I love that. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's often just like I like I mean, being a writer, you probably feel the same way, but I just like have a an appreciation for when people can write well and when they can create like this fictional paradise that does not exist like it continuously blows my mind that these people can build out a whole world that doesn't exist um and like make me obsessed with it and like I still am one of those readers where like I'll have dreams about like the characters because I feel like I know them and I'm like sad that I don't know what's going on in their life anymore yeah when you have to leave them when your book is done and you don't get to hang out with them anymore i get super attached to characters and i'll think about them and yes. i have books that my mom and i we do a lot of like back and forth book sharing 
And every now and then we'll just like mention a character from one of our books and be like, Lenny, right? <laughs> we do that. Me and my mom do the exact same thing. I'll be like, don't you think this would be a thing William would be super into? She'd be like, yes. <laughs> like, oh, I wish you were here. Right. Yeah, books are so powerful. It's like amazing that people can create these universes with only words, like above and beyond TV and movies where you have like all the visual and audio aspects of it that you can like really like build a really convincing narrative. The fact that these people can build a narrative and a universe that I'm like completely embedded in with just their words, like I have such admiration for, for authors. Yeah. I'm also, I'm a huge historical drama kind of gal. And the way you are with World War II, which I find a little weird, um, <laughs> I am that way with King Henry VIII. Give me Ooh. any book about him, one of his wives, one of his children, or one of his distant relatives who are a threat to the throne. And <laughs> I am there. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, we should swap. We should swap lists then. I feel like I'd be into that. I'm I also excited that- to find out what your top five are. <laughs> I also think it's really weird. I'm into World War II, um, but uh, my mom is really into World War II. And to your point about swapping, I think she just like ends up giving me a lot of books that are World War II. Um, But also there were a lot of like interesting, I don't know, the books I've read, I'm like, wow, it's so cool that you pulled this narrative from that like one weird historical, like one-off moment. Um, But yeah, do you want to hear my list? I've written them down for you. Obviously I do. How often, how often do you reread one book? I never reread books. Um, Yeah, yeah, I never do. Um, I have this weird thing about like already knowing what's going to happen. I find it really frustrating. I don't know if it's like how my brain works, but even if I accidentally reread a chapter, I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. I've already read it. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, yeah. I just like can't do it. But what, what you gave me the challenge of like, what would I reread? And I literally like nose to the grindstone like what would I genuinely read like if there was like a gun to my head and these are the books that I came up with so that's so you know this is like a legit list that's so interesting I have I have like two or three books here that I reread almost like once or twice a year no kidding yeah because I just have to revisit them I just like that book was so good I needed to be a part of my life like I'm obviously flying through it'll yeah. take like two days to think about it yeah yeah yeah. yeah, it's just like no I need I need that warm blanket it's it's me reading the recaps again I just like to know what's about to happen I like knowing what's coming down the pipeline but that's so interesting we'll go one and one so you start us okay okay this book I have recommended it to everybody I've ever met in my life um since I read it it's called a little life I don't know if you've read it um Oh my God. It is one of the most powerful books I've ever read. Um, it follows the main character, uh, Jude. Um, he, it's kind of like hard to understand like what you're following until like pretty well on in the book, but what it ends up being is the main character ends up being this character Jude and he, um, becomes best friends with three other boys in university and they all live in Manhattan. And, um, it sort of follows their, you kind of jump back and forth between like their futures and their past. So it's sort of like every time they have an instance in their present or future life, um, 
it sort of gets like explained with like an aspect of their childhood like here's why they reacted that way because this thing happened to them when they were kids but you really learn all these this information in bits and pieces as the book goes on and it it starts when they're um 18 and it ends when they're like 70 or something so it like jumps so, and the chapters like don't tell you like, oh, now we're when everybody's 50. Now we're when everybody's 55. Um, but, oh my God, this book destroyed me. I bawled my eyes out. I um, love a good like, in like cry brought on by something else. Mm-hmm. And um, I cried so many times during this book. It is a story about um, abuse, about like, uh, emotional vulnerability about like the willingness to like improve and like know yourself um your like openness to new experiences to love to new people um it's it's just such like an honest look at I what I would imagine are men who are like completely comfortable in their masculinity um and willing to do the work and figure out like who they actually are. Um, I this is that this is that book where I'm like every six months I'm like I wonder what Willem and Jude are doing right now because I feel like we would have been great friends and I feel like they would have got like understood me and I feel like I would have understood them. They just the writing is fucked. Like I don't know how this person created this this universe. It has gotten some like I've been a part of like some conversations online. It's it's gotten some like black about the way it portrays gay relationships um which was like a big learning for me but I still think the prose in and of itself is like so insanely good I highly recommend it damn okay I should have gone first that's really hard to follow (laughs) what a review I I I like I reviewed it on Goodreads and I was like I don't even know how to write the words that could support a book like this because I'm just I'm so in love with it like it was so emotional I am somebody who like I'm an emotional person but I'm not very good at like expressing my emotions in like a proper way or like I'm not very good at like just like critically thinking about my own emotions and this book forced me to do that like through being emotion like emotional and exploring other people's emotions it forced me to like be introspective and it was just like the writing was so amazing yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah, we're definitely switching lists. I don't know if you're gonna like <laughs> books. I don't know. Now I'm like rethinking. I'm rethinking. Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> I have some I have some fun ones. Sorry, I started I had to say that one. I had to say that one. Okay. So my first book is called Mrs. Kimball. Ooh, I'm gonna write. Are you seeing it backwards or is that just because I'm looking at my reflection? It's <laughs> just because you're looking right. at your reflection. Okay. Third times. So this book. Um, is about a man who in his lifetime has three wives, um, but he never divorces them. He just continues on with his life, collecting wives and starting families. And the book is more so about the life of his wife in the moment that he's either met them or left them. And it's more so a study on the women themselves and how they're all strong in their own rights. They're all Ooh. extremely different. They're, they all look different. They have different personalities. Some have children, some don't. And it's about the way that they cope both with him when he's a part of their lives because he's a very difficult man 
and the devastation that he leaves behind when he eventually just disappears, which he does repeatedly, and he seemingly never has to answer for his actions. Wow, story of every woman's life ever. Right? And it also, it also spans multiple decades. Um, I believe it starts in the 60s and it goes on till the 90s. Um, and yeah, it, their characters stay with me and the children that he's left behind eventually grow up and turn into their own basket cases in their own right. Yeah. But okay. it was such a good book and it stayed with me. And I think it was like a recommendation from one of my mom's friends that my mom read and then I read like in high school with no comprehension of all of these <laughs> deep feelings that one would have for and for abandoned yeah. families. I was just like, damn, this guy's a dick. <laughs> now when I read it, I'm like, oh my God, what a monster. No kidding. I love that. That sounds like a really good version of um, The Wives. I don't know if you read that book. Um, I didn't. I heard was- a lot about it though. That was a Heather's pick and it is trash. I was so <laughs> pissed off, but I, people were like hyping it so hard. I went to chapters, bought the hard copy and then I read it and was like, oh man, it felt so much like it focused on the dude. And that's like what I, that was my main discrepancy with it was like, you're not giving any of the female characters like the strength or like the actual like complexity that they would have in like a real life situation Mm -hmm. the yeah the thing that I love about this book is that he's so complex he's such a mystery and you never get into his head you get Mm -hmm. into the heads of the women whose lives he's somewhat destroying just going about his way doing whatever he wants fantastic read I've written it down I'm gonna pick it up Ooh, oh. Um, my my other one that like I would highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, I just read this summer. It's called City of Girls. I don't know if you've had a chance to pick that up. Um, it's so amazing and fun. Uh, like I know I touched on this earlier, but um, I did uh competitive dance for like most of my life, and it's all it follows showgirls in the forties. Um basically living this like reckless showgirl lifestyle in New York city. Um, the main character is, uh, a girl who doesn't really get along with her parents. She tried to go to boarding school and it didn't work out. And they shipped her off to her parent or her aunt who lives in, um, Manhattan and she owns a theater company. And this girl, when she's like the ripe age of like 19, sort of settles into this life as like a theater company assistant and she starts like making costumes for the showgirls but the 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 relationships throughout and like the 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 sort of romanticized version of Manhattan in the 40s like it was pretty pre-war um it the images like really stick in my mind like they describe the costumes and the the what it's like to be behind curtain before a show and um, going to a club at 3 a.m. in Manhattan, like things like this. Like it's it's it it's like a really like romantic, exciting. It reminded me of being like 18 on my own on my own for the first time, like you know, hitting the town, wearing my like cute little dress and whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's but it's also like an amazing like exploration of like like a coming of age story for a woman where she like 
she's like having like unprotected sex and like all of the like anxieties that come with that and um she's trying to like explore her own sexuality without like associating herself with like being like a floozy or like a whore like all of these like horrible names that women are called um it, the whole thing is like really interesting I loved it yeah I would read it awesome. just for the imagery alone yeah I love things that are get to be set in those old timey days where like New York at night was just such a party <laughs> I know these girls are waltzing around in like bras and um <laughs> they're like not concerned at all about like how much cocaine they've done and they're just getting into cabs I'm like I went to university in Montreal and I was like terrified to like walk down the street at 10 a.m in like jeans these girls aren't even letting their friends know the license plates of the cabs that they're taking no they don't even have that mechanism on their uber app to be like <laughs> share your ride <laughs> what a time to be alive can you imagine? Like, whatever happens, happens. It's New York, baby. <laughs> They're smoking a cigarette out the window while they say it. Yeah, oh, exactly. So down for that life. Well, speaking of New York and the lifestyle in New York, my number two book is The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, a classic. My go-to beach read. I bring it on every trip I go on, which is none anymore. <laughs> but I will All die right. on the hill that this book is so much better than the movie i completely agree every completely. every every review i've read is just like oh the book is not as good the movie is where it's at and it's like the movie lost so much by way of its characters it really gave you such a sanitized version of randa Priestley that when i watched the movie i was like this woman there's not that much to be afraid of it's oh, just because gosh, everyone's really cold and not personable <laughs> Well, you've also worked in a magazine <laughs> newsroom, so that may be where the both of us are coming from. I'm like, oh, you think she's bad? Like, this is nothing, guys. Please. Um, but no, I completely agree. I think the second Meryl Streep stepped on set, everybody was like, this movie's a fucking classic, and anything that says otherwise is like, you know, blasphemy. And it's like, I don't, I love Meryl Streep, but I do think the book. As with any book to movie adaptation, I'm like always like, oh, you're missing so much of like the inner monologue, the like inner thoughts. Yeah. That I crave. Yeah. Her friends were so much better in the book where you understood their frustration with her and you could totally see their side of the argument that she was just being eaten alive by this job of hers. In the movie, they're just like, yeah, you work a lot. You're such a bitch. <laughs> Guys, what a, that's your fucking argument? You guys suck. I will say I've always hated the actor who plays her boyfriend because I'm like, you suck for <laughs> hating her for being good at her job. And also you're a chef. So you work fucking all night long. Yeah. Evenings and weekends. You're never around. You, you literally work on Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, Cut her some fucking slack. You know, especially since at the beginning she was just like, I have to do this for a year and then I can work anywhere I want. And he was like, that's great. Good for you. And like two months in, he was like, well, this is unacceptable. He's like, we never have sex anymore. She's like, um, I would love, I would pay big bucks to see a movie about a dude getting a job and being all consumed by it. And the whole plot is like, his friends are mad at him. <laughs> Can you imagine? As he brings them boatloads of free 
expensive shit. And they're just like, yeah, but you were only at my art exhibit for like five minutes, man. <laughs> or like, oh, please come to this really fancy gala that I'm invited to. Um, but I can't really talk to you because I'm at work. <laughs> and they're like, you fucking, ho- you bitch. You bitch. <laughs> Such a sellout, uh, man. Yeah, that book is, yeah, that, that's a great book. Great choice. Thank you. Thank you. Over to you. All right. What else do I have here? Okay. Um, when all is said, this is, this book, I don't know if, for, for me, um, I was like really close to my grandpa and this book reminded me so much of him. It all said in one night and it's an older man who lost his wife the year prior. He's, he's in like Scotland or Ireland, some pub in one of those European countries and um and his whole thing is like he basically has like made the decision that he doesn't want to live without his wife anymore and he's sick and old um but he's sort of like making reparations but it's all in his head and he's making reparations with like his son his wife like he every chapter is like a different person that he wants to like apologize to basically or like like seek forgiveness from not necessarily that he's done anything bad but just to say like I'm not a perfect person I wish I would have done these things better um and the whole time he's getting like pissed drunk at a pub um and then he plans to like go to his hotel room and take a ton of pills which like sounds really dark but the book is really not that way it's like I found it to be like a really refreshing look at assisted death and like the the simple fact that like sometimes when people lose the people that they're in love with, they don't, you know, when they're old, they don't want to keep going. It's like, what's the point? Literally, what's the point? Like, I can't see anybody. I can't do the things I love. I can't be with the person I love. Um, So it was just like a really cool look. And also it deals with, you know, him being a dad. It deals with like really interesting concept of like masculinity and like him struggling in his life to like, properly um emote to his family to his kids to his wife and to properly like indicate how much he actually loved them and um he's just he's filled with a lot of like love but also some regret and also some like disappointment in himself but also hope for the future like it's 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 a really beautiful look and I also love that it's all said in one night because that's just like nice yeah. and for me yeah that's really interesting. That's really cool. That kind of reminds me of um, the five people that you meet in heaven. Yes. Very similar vibe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That. Um, this one, my number three, um, was just turned into an HBO series and Mark Ruffalo won an Emmy for it, not to brag, <laughs> like I wrote it. Um, <laughs> it's, I know this one. Oh, yeah. By Wally Lamb. And actually, he has another one called The Hour I First Believed. And both those books, like, I think I'm going to go, like, number 3A and number 3B with my books because they're both so fantastic. This one, whenever I, I tell people to read it, I always have such a tough time explaining what it's about. Like the easiest, the easiest log line is just like, it's about these identical twins, but one has schizophrenia and one doesn't. And the one who doesn't is trying to navigate his way through like a a tightly kept family secret. 
and the one who does have schizophrenia, like you kind of figure out all these, these really hard moments that happen to him throughout his life to bring him to this one yeah. big thing that happens at the beginning of the book. Like <laughs> there's a lot going on basically. Yeah. Yeah. But those are always the best books. If you can't shove it into a log line, then that's how you know it's a good book. I'm just like, yeah. And then you like, you kind of go back into like the life of their grandfather through a manuscript and, but also it's about his mom and she had a bit of a facial deformity. So like that kind of shaped who he became. <laughs> People are like, okay, I'll, I'll read the book. Just yeah, yeah, like, thanks for coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I, I have heard great things about that series though, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm dying to watch it. It's on freaking HBO, which I know I can't get another streaming service. Money. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How many can I justify? <laughs> there are always um, so many things. Um, and then the other one I mentioned, The Hour I First Believed, um, is about the aftermath um, on one couple, a husband and wife, um, where the wife survived uh, the shooting at Columbine. Whoa. Yeah. It is Ooh, so I'm into that. interesting. I'm it's another on one that down. goes off in a lot of different tangents. And I found that at like the beginning of a chapter, I'd be like, wait, who's this person now? Another new person? I have to figure out their life. But at the end of that chapter, you're like, oh man, it all connects. Oh, I love that shit. I'm a big conspiracy theorist. Yeah. So both those books, excellent. Ooh. Okay. I've written them down. Um, the next one I had was My Dark Vanessa. This was like a huge topic of conversation. Yeah, I did. Year. That's the first one I've read. So um, it honestly, I mean, obviously, I I mean, not obviously, but I have not been a victim of, of sexual assault. And so I think probably for people who have, this would be a really difficult read. It's like quite graphic um, at some points, but Oh my God, I thought they captured the power imbalance between student and teacher so well and so thoughtfully. And I, and there were points where I was like, I know what it's like to be the girl on the, the girl student on the receiving end of this like inappropriate relationship, but you don't really understand what's going, what's going on because you're like, you're my teacher. Um, and I'm 15 and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, oh, my God, the writing was so good. I finished it in, like, three days flat. Um, it was just, like, it had me on the edge of my seat. And also, it's just so freaking timely that I was, like, it's, it's, this is the experience of so many girls that we're just, like, not talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that book, that book was a really, really good read. I also got through it really quickly. And it is, it is that moment where like you and I, like, cause I also haven't had an experience like that, but you and I reading it as adult women, we're able to pinpoint the moments when she's young, when he's being incredibly inappropriate and crossing a line. But if you think back to yourself as a 15 year old, you'd be like, oh my God, I would love attention from an older man who is like praising for, sure. for something, especially coming from a family where you're not feeling that, where you're not getting that kind of love and appreciation. Oh and like God. the whole and book, also, you're like just waiting for the epiphany. You're like, <laughs> you have to know. That's the thing. She grows up to be like a full adult woman and is still like in the throes of this abuse. And I think that was what, that was what was so like poignant for me was like, oh my God, there's, for some people, there isn't that like epiphany moment. There isn't that moment where it's like, 
I, I recognize now that this is wrong. It's just like, this is, this is what you think you deserve sometimes. And that is like so heartbreaking. It was definitely a, a difficult read. It was quite emotional after I was like, oh my God, I need like a gossip girl or something to like lighten the mood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so good. Um, yeah. That, that book too, I found that when I would recommend it to people, I'd like have a little caveat, like, just so you know, it's kind of a tough read. If you're, yeah, if yeah. like real uncomfortable freaking scenes where you're going to be like, girl, yeah. walk yourself out of there, but power and balance. Oh man, I used to work at a camp. Don't talk to me about power imbalances, like shit was crazy. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, this one, this one is not going to lighten the mood. Not that it follows in the same vein, but this one just really fucked me up for a while. Um, it's The Strain by Benicio Del which was also turned into a TV series. Yes. I read it before I watched it because um, I was also going to interview someone from that as well, and I wanted, I wanted the literature before I watch the show. Um, and this book you're is, a professional. I'm a professional. I'm just like really smart. Um, this book is fucking terrifying. It, it's about vampires, but not like the sexy kind, like just the horrifying kind. There's something about this book because I will tell you when I was reading it for four or five nights straight, I woke up at three in the morning, just in a panicked sweat that one of these vampires was in my room in the pitch black of the night. Oh my God. Several days, the same time, middle of the night, pitch black, one of these vampires is coming to kill me. And I would like have to get up out of bed and go to the living room and just like watch a Disney movie and be like, it's okay, it's not real. Vampires aren't real, you're good, you're good. And by the time I interviewed the woman, I was like, I'm scarred for life from this book so the question is were were the middle of the night wake-ups worth the worth the experience of reading the book yeah it's a really really good book and right now it would probably be incredibly terrifying because it is about a type of parasite that infects people through contact and that's how you become the undead and sometimes you gotta fucking murder your family members man you know (laughs) Sometimes you gotta murder your family. You know what? Sometimes you gotta lock them up in the garage and hope that an antidote is coming soon before you gotta chop off their heads. But Jesus. And there's like undead children, there's undead dogs. Nobody is safe. And it is horrifying. And I'm sorry, I wow, I said it was authored by Benicio del Toro. How fucking embarrassing. It's Guillermo del Toro, (laughs) the amazing director. Who only does the craziest, scariest shit? Where'd you get Benicio? I did, I think I missed that Benicio. I kind of like that though. I just looked Benicio. over and I was like, "Wait, I definitely did not say Guillermo." <laughs> just always thinking about Benicio del Toro. I'm so so focused on this crazy plot. I um <laughs> I will watch like a an especially scary episode of like Family Guy and then cannot sleep so this might not be for me um but I have heard amazing things about that as far as like like murder mystery horror fans so that's like one of the peak books 
Yeah. I didn't actually finish the series, the TV series. Mm. And this book, I believe is the beginning of a series, did not finish that either. <laughs> I finished this book and I was like, I'm good. That's enough. The parasite yeah. is still running rampant. That's fine. I'm just going to imagine like- that it all went fine. I never watched like paranormal, but I watched like Lovely Bones to give you like a sense of like where I'm at. Like I love a thriller. I love like an edge of your seat, like what's going to happen, but it's not very gory and like nothing really does ever happen, but like what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but then the actual like murder, I'm like, I, it's not for me. (laughs) It's funny because I'm fine with murders. I don't particularly like paranormal activity because I'm like, no, no, I need, I need a human person that I can pin this all on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I some can. morality. Bring some morality in yeah. this situation. But I'm also like, I don't love things that are just like psychotic serial killers that kill for no reason because then that just terrifies me and I wake up in the middle of the night like, are all the doors right. locked? Right. Because like, I think there are, and I think that is like really interesting because I think that speaks to why people are so interested in like people like Ted Bundy, because it's like, we want to understand why he was doing what he was doing. But I think a lot of times there is no reason. There is no rhyme or reason. It's just like, they're fucking crazy. So they kill. But it's like the human desire to like understand. And that's why Dexter, the show, fucked me up royalty royally because I was just like why am I sympathizing with a serial killer like he would kill somebody and I'd be like no no that's fine they were a bad person <laughs> I can't believe it I can't believe Debbie or what Deb Deb I can't remember his sister's name his sister's name something with a d she would I can't I would always be like I can't believe she wants to like reveal who he really is like just let him keep like vigilante killing like he just has to do it like he knows he knows it's bad so that's why he does it for a good reason hello i don't know demons are weird yeah that's you know what when i watched the first season of um narcos even though i know the story of pablo escobar i still was like i really hope it works out for him yes because they like show you his they show you his like wife and his kids, and you're like, "Shit, I'm in it now." Same He's with Tony such a Soprano. good businessman. Like, <laughs> Tony Soprano, I'm like, for the love of God, he loves you, Carmela. Can't you see? I know he's cheated on you 16 times. Can't you see he loves you, and he was trying. He's doing this all for you. I know, and you oh. know, what? every time I watch, I'm just like, why do I find Tony Soprano so charming? Dude, dude. <laughs> You know, first I would be a you're like not into it, but then you're just like, oh, what me? No, I would I would be as Gumar in a fucking heartbeat. I would do it. I would do it. I Those would wear real life truth. See, I think it's stuff like that that more women need to talk about. <laughs> I agree. Like, how low would you go? Let's normalize that. How low would you go? I mean, and like, if he's giving me a big fucking emerald diamond ring. Came off another dead girl's finger, whatever. He loves me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I know. Okay. Book number five. Last one. Okay. Last book. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. 
have you heard slash read read this book oh my god I feel like I may have heard of it I definitely haven't read it you may have heard of it from my Instagram last year when I posted about it and was like I am a wreck this book is so good and I'm so sad it's done um it follows a woman living in the UK and she has some sort of um like neuro neurological disorder like they don't really ever explain what it is but she definitely her habits that they describe indicate some sort of like Asperger's or like like early sort of maybe more mild autism um she has like really specific habits and she only lives by herself and she she comes from like a kind of abusive situation which you don't really like get light on until towards the end of the book um but it's really just about her like figuring out like how to be an adult woman living on her own and like truly experience things like for so long for so many years she's just going through the motions she gets a job she um she she pays her bills she has an apartment but she's not actually building any human connection because it makes her so anxious and so it's so hard for her and then she has like a series of sort of life events that force her to like open herself up to others and ask for help and ask for um like emotional support and she's actually like so pleasantly surprised and it's there's really no plot beyond that it it ends just like with her living a happy life but it's it's it really I felt so like understood by it not that I am am on any sort of spectrum um but I just it it mirrors so closely like the experience of being a young adult in my mind like just like not knowing what the fuck you're doing and sort of making it up as you go and then ultimately being forced to 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 open yourself up to new experiences and like take it or leave it um but it also like I don't know I thought I thought it it does a really good job of like normalizing neurodiversity and not not necessarily making the story about your neurodiversity just about the it, it just happens to be a story about a protagonist who has some differences about them you know what I mean like that stark difference so anyway the writing is like stellar and I just felt like I was like best friends with her by the end of the book that sounds like a real good one yeah highly recommend one of those ones that I'm just gonna miss her so much when she's not a part of my life anymore yeah, you might have to add that to your <laughs> annual uh, reread because, oh my God, she's so freaking charming and just like interesting. All the characters are. Yeah, really good. She'll join my gang, my gang of literary yeah. heroes. Your gang of pals. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last book is my favorite book of all time. I recommend it. I don't care what genres people like. If they ask me for a book recommendation, this is always the one that I go to. It's called The Five Books of Moses Lipinski. And okay, it's, by, it's by an author by the name of Karen X. Tulshinsky, but he has since transitioned to Aaron Tulshinsky. Um, so I wouldn't even, I don't know what the, if there's reprints of the book, I don't know which name to be looking for, but last name is probably a good one to go by. Um, and one of the cherries on top of this book is that it's set in Toronto. So if you're from Toronto, everything is super familiar and they're like naming streets and they talk about Christy Pitts, just raising the roof on it. Love that. Love um, that. But it is such an amazing story about a family through 
three generations of um, a family of immigrants who have a Jewish background and past um, family members have lived through pogroms in, I want to say Poland. I haven't reread it in a few months, so I don't remember, but. Um, Shame on you, Bianca. <laughs> you haven't reread it in a few months. <laughs> to get back to it. Um, but the quote unquote modern family that, that we read through in the book um, is a family of five that's living through the depression in Toronto. And uh, it's four boys in this family, and they are all so freaking lovable in their own way. They all have such different personalities. And the story is just such, so beautifully woven between each and every one of them. You get to learn about the mother and the father and the people that these boys fall in love with throughout their lives. And there's wars. Oh my God, there's World War II, Megan. Yay! There's yeah. World War II. <laughs> Read it. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing is being written as if uh, the grandson of one of those brothers um, is going through his own family history to find out more about his ancestors. Oh, I love that. It is so beautiful. The characters are so wonderful. Like, I feel like I'm not even doing it justice explaining what it's about. It's so magnificent. No, I'm, I'm for sure going to read this. This sounds right up my alley. <laughs> I can't even believe I didn't put two and two together with that World War II. It's like, I got your magic book right here, girl. But yeah, so it's, it's fantastic. And you read about like all kinds of horrible discriminations that they've gone through every generation of this family throughout their lives. Um, and it even puts a really intense emotional connection to the Christie Pitts riots. And Ooh, wow. I have to say like, I read this book in high school and I recommended it to my grade 10 drama teacher shouts out to her she singled me out in class for my flat chest one time um and now reading it <laughs> wanted to sorry go what yeah she she called me out for having a flat chest she tried to do it with a compliment but didn't hit the same <sighs> but i'm over it as you can obviously tell megan why are teachers like this everybody has a story about their teacher mine was like why are you breaking out in front of everyone? And I was just like, well, I'm 16. So <laughs> I have this little thing called hormones. It's like, I'm just a raging ball of hormones, like yeah. back off. Ugh. So I reread this book, um, like I said, a couple months ago. And now as a mom, it hits different. There are certain scenes that did not make me cry back Aww. in grade 10. And now they do. And I was like, it's insane how you can read the same book and have such different emotions over the years. So my favorite book. I all. love that. Love that. That's so true. Even the difference of like six months, I find, like depending on where you are at in your life. <sighs> the power of books. Yeah. I feel like now if I reread The Strain going through the pandemic, I'm going to be waking up in the middle of the night for a different reason. Mm -hmm. It'd be like, <sighs> Maybe we could just all turn into vampires. That seems to be definitely preferable. At this rate, at least then we'd be able to go outside. Right? We'd eat in restaurants. We wouldn't be nervous. These guys had it made, as far as I'm talking. <laughs> what a great list, Megan. I'm going out. I'm not going out. I'm going to order <laughs> your books. Because I do. I don't read. There was um, the few months at the beginning of the year when I was taking a train in every day 
precious, precious reading time and I was flying through books and I've considerably slowed down, but I am forcing myself to get through a few chapters every night because I hate when I'm not reading. I know, me too. It's hard though when you feel, I'm trying to be kind to myself and, and, and listen to myself and understand that I feel emotionally taxed. So to bring in an, a whole other plot of people that don't exist and like bear that emotional burden, of course, <laughs> I'm going to feel like that is too much right now, which feels, it sounds absurd, but like life is very hard right now. So I'm just trying to be kind to myself and like whenever I feel comfortable reading is when I read. Good for you. That's good. I think you were the one who messaged me about the book, The Farm. Yes. I finished it. Did you end up reading that? Yeah. Yeah. It was whatever. Pretty disappointing, (laughs) right? Yeah. So I I was expecting something big. Me too. I love dystopian novels. I loved, I didn't love 1984, but I loved Brave New World, Um, like uh, Animal Farm, Fucking eat that shit up. Um, what's the one tale? about the Handmaid's Tale? Like about the one about the kids on the island. Oh, Lord of the Flies. Very, very famous. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I love that shit. But the farm just like did not live up to expectations. I literally was like, I'm pretty sure the farm exists in like New Haven or some shit. Yeah, it um, didn't seem that that crazy. Not one bit of it. I'm like, you're getting paid big bucks. Like, I understand there's power imbalance, but the whole time I was just like, oh, man, what a disappointment. Yeah. So anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of reading. Do not read. It's just a group of women that are being paid to be surrogates for rich people. That's really it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Everything that, every tangent that I thought was going to lead to something huge and shocking never panned out. Yeah. There could have been a huge, and I thought about this, had I been writing the book, I would have focused so much more on like the immigrant experience and how this company was like, like, like basically poaching immigrants and, and relying on their need for stability and money um, to be like a baby farm. That's the whole idea. I think that's where it was always headed, but it never got there. It always just came right back around to being like, oh, but then they took really good care of the Filipino woman. And then she just like went on her merry way. Yeah, everyone <laughs> I was, was like, what? Fine. Everybody's fine. Everyone's doing all right. She was definitely uncomfortable with it, but she gave birth to their baby and then went back to her family. And then she never heard from them again. It's yeah. just like, wait, what? She got another job out of it and her and her daughter live a pretty happy life. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it ends. That's it. Yeah. I I always feel it important to tell people when I don't like a book even more than when I do like a book because I'm like, do not waste your time. Yeah. How long will you give a book before you give up on it completely? Too long. I feel like an obligation to a book once I've started it that I should see it through and like maybe if I give it a chance, it'll surprise me. So I just read this other book, um, Reproduction. It's by um, a Toronto author. It's set in Toronto and Brampton. And um, it was shortlisted for, for a ton of awards. The Giller like mentioned it, all these things. And it was so jumbled. It's one of those books that's written like half in prose, um, half in poetry, half in like music lyrics. Like it would just go all over the place. And like there was no... There was no timeline. It just felt really like forced artistically. Um, and I gave that one like probably eight to 10 weeks of my life. Wow. Where I was 
I was slogging through. I would read like four pages and be like, oh my God, I don't even get it. But like, but everybody says it's good. So I'm going to give it a shot. And then eventually I was just like, I called it time of death. I was like June 3rd or whatever it was this year. It's like, it's too, the pandemic. I, I need something that I actually like. It's over. Yeah. I went to, um, years, years and years ago, I went to somebody's house cause they had like an amazing author come over to do like a book reading for a small little book club love that it was amazing and someone asked him like how long do you give a book before you give up on it and he said well how long do you guys give and woman said like i i'll give it like 100 pages and he's like i give it 10. (gasps) i know we were all like what but you yeah he's like 10 pages and if it hasn't grabbed you it's not worth it and we were like shit shots fired see okay on one hand i get it but on another hand, I'm like, there have been instances where the first 10 pages, I'm like, no way. I don't like it. But by the end, I'm like, this is my favorite book. Like, imagine you had only given Shit's Creek 10 minutes of your time. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I suffer. I suffer till like the last chapter before. I'm like, ah, maybe not for <laughs> me. Me too. And then I'm like, oh man, I'll give it a three though, because they tried really hard. <laughs> Three out of five. Three out of five. They clearly were dedicated to to get a book published. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe you made it this far. Congrats. Yeah. Hardcover and everything. Wow. (laughs) I'm trying to think of the last book that I didn't actually finish, but it some of them are just not even by choice. I just put them down and I forget about them, which also isn't good. Oh, that's even worse than being <laughs> discarded on purpose, I would say. It's like it's like the difference between like indifference and, and anger, like outright like frustration. Like I would rather feel something towards the book than just be so bored that I forget I started it. Yeah. My biggest worry uh, is like, shit, where did I put that bookmark? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I find that a lot with um like beach reads. I'll, I'll just like confuse because like basically every dude character is like the same and every woman character is the same. So I'm just like, did I read that? <laughs> or was this the other one? What? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I also, I, I have books that I reread again and again for beach reads and they're ones that just like, did I like this the first time around? <laughs> it seems really, eh, it's doing what it's doing. Yeah. I have yeah. a book um by her name is Gigi Lavangi Granger Grazer she's Brian Grazer's wife he's a producer in Hollywood it is such a random weird sexually explicit book about this like <laughs> rich girl in Beverly Hills who wants to marry into money and she's such a bitch and she treats every guy like shit. And you're like, hey, I need a picture. I know you're describing her hot, but I need to see her to see why she thinks she's worth all this fucking trouble. And the whole way through, I'm like, I kind of want a movie made about this book, but <laughs> fuck, I hate I'm picturing here. I'm picturing Christine from Selling Sunset. I haven't watched it, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Bianca, you haven't watched Selling Sunset? You oh are watching God. The Sopranos for the first time. I would curb that attitude. Cut the tape. 
<laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's so true about the Sopranos, but oh my God, I cannot recommend. I actually don't even like really engage with trashy TV. I actually find it like I get very emotionally involved and then I have to remove myself and be like, this is so fucking stupid. Like, why do I care? Um, so I tend to avoid, but oh my God, Selling Sunset is the perfect combination of um, eye porn. It's gorgeous. The houses you get to see, like, I don't know about you, but I fucking love real estate. So it's just love like, real estate. oh, so good. And then it's also just absurd. It's just also absurd gorgeous women walking through the real estate talking about their own personal drama can I jump into season three because as I understand it that's the one with all the drama yeah yeah you totally can the first season is strictly just like setting up the scene and being like this is the Oppenheim group this is what we do and this is all of us um no skip skip right there you can even even read some like us weekly or people columns to like catch up with on all the I read about yeah. all of their fucking dramas. You know what's, so you know what's good. Now Chriselle's on Dancing with the Stars. See, I know all about her and her text divorce. Because I read so the recaps before I watch the show. See, with reality TV, I'm all on board. With fictional TV, that screws <laughs> with my head. I think it's I because it was specifically Sons of Anarchy and it was just such an intense show. I needed to mm. just like mentally prepare myself. <laughs> For the fucking prison rape and murders that were coming down the pipeline. Yeah, that'll do it. I felt that way about Game of Thrones. I was like, oh my God, I'm really not sure I'm emotionally prepared. Like, I'm hungover. It's like 4 p.m. on a Sunday. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You read the recap and you're like, all right, well, so-and-so is going to get a sword through the face. I know yeah. it and I've accepted it and I'm moving past it. And now I can see it. Yeah, now exactly. I'm about it. I have to tell yeah. you that I have a river of sweat running down the back of my neck and I keep touching like the small, like it is disgusting. Well, you have, you have like approximately 20 pounds worth of hair on your head. It's gorgeous <laughs> hair, but me, it's so gross. I wish I had wings with a bun on my half. head, but I was just really digging. This, That's so cute. The half up, half down. For- for, for those of you listening, she has a half up, half down, little wavy action, and it's adorable. It's my disgusting so hair. It's not straight. It's not curly. It's just there. And it's heavy and it. it's hot. And I think mm-hmm. it's like my ring light is really making me dewy. <laughs> well, you look great from here. Thank I never would have known you sweaty. Thank you. I think of beautiful description of the pools of sweat that I'm feeling and having right now is a wonderful place to end what was like the most wonderful podcast. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for joining me, Megan. You were just an absolute blast. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Seriously, have me anytime. Girl, I will. And I promise I will not look like such a drag queen next time. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to do my outro to the show and you'll just have to sit there and deal with it. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) No choices. Thanks for tuning into this episode. You can catch Bee's Nest Podcast on Anchor.fm, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And when you do, if you can please subscribe, rate, and review, that would be amazing. You'd be the best. I'll catch you next time. Bye.